Once upon a time, there were four little rabbits. How old are you, Johnny? She asked. Sixteen. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. It For was the day. best of times. It was the worst of times. A wise old king once said, Of the making of books, there is no end. How true today. Of the overabundance of writing published each year, what's worth reading? The answer is simple. Read only the best. Come join the discussion on Just the Best Literature. Well, hello again, everyone. Thanks for listening in today. Well, on our last several podcasts, we have been leading you into the discussion of Jim's first encounter with Marlowe. Now, uh, we promise we're actually going to get you to that point today where actually Jim and Marlowe meet person to person. So today what we want to do is we want to continue that discussion and then uh, also discuss these events where Jim finally get person to person, Jim and Marlowe. Now, as I said the last time, there's much to unpack in these early chapters and we need to spend the time with the details. So to help me to do this today with me in the studio again is my partner in literature, my wonderful wife, Deborah welcome back thank you it's good to be here again so it's always great to have you of course i kind of see you every day of my life so (laughs) it's really good that way too i do think it's important dear that we uh we mentioned at this point that conrad uses marlo's discussion with other characters of the book to get the full story on jim so so uh he has this technique where he goes back and forth in time well he also goes between character and character and uh, I think uh, as we've been discussing the character broadly he's a case in point for what I mean here and uh, I know some people get really frustrated with the way Conrad writes because they want to know well more about the Patna and here we are almost into chapter 7 and we don't we know very little about what happened and uh, but we're going to get to that people out there listening but um uh, he also then introduces all these extra characters as well. And so you may think the uh, the story with Briarly is unimportant, but really it is. And so we have to see that, and we're going to talk about that today. So just realize that, that uh, really uh, reading uh, Conrad, uh, it does require patient reading, and it requires deep thinking. So as I've said before, hang in there. There are more characters to come, so don't quit or walk out of the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's there's actually, if, if we can get to it, and I can remember, there's actually a scene today where it's like a movie director, uh, uh, you know, brings this out. In fact, it reminds me of the Star Wars movies when you see all the text, you know, up in the universe and when they're <laughs> telling the story. So, all right. Uh, I, I just thought maybe we could just take a little bit of time and... Uh, Let's go back to like page 49 and um, we can read about Briarly's disapproval of Jim and then also uh, maybe this this point we can also show where Marlowe defends him. And uh, um, it, it, it really sounds to me and you can you can correct me. We haven't had a chance to talk about this too much. But it, 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 to me it just seems like Briarly, um, in one case, he'll say, well, he thinks Jim is being tormented, but then he's disgusted with Jim at the same time. That That's what seems to come out to me. And, uh, you know, uh, the, the thing is here is Marlowe thinks Jim is courageous, and he states that at the bottom of page... Um, uh, well, he did state that on the page, page 41 from last time, so I don't want to have to get into that today. But the bottom of 41, 
if you notice this, it, uh, I, I could just read this a little bit. It says, I pointed out to him that the, and, and this is, um, uh, Marlowe is talking to Barley here. We're breaking into the kind of the end of this conversation. He says, I pointed out to him that the skipper of the Patna was known to have feathered his nest pretty well and could procure almost anywhere. Uh, the means of getting away. With Jim was otherwise. The government was keeping him in the sailor's home for the time being, and probably he hadn't a penny in his pocket to bless himself with. It cost some money to run away. Does it not always, he said, with a bitter laugh and to some further remark of mine. Well, then let him creep 20 feet underground and stay there. And he goes, uh, I'll just skip that one word there. He says, I would. I don't know why this tone provoked me, and I said, there's a kind of courage in facing it out as he does, knowing very well that if he went away, nobody would trouble to run after him. And notice what Briarly says there. He says, courage be hanged, growled Briarly. That sort of courage is of no use to keep a man straight, and I don't care a snap for such courage. If you were to say it was a kind of cowardice now or of softness. And so so I, I think there that, that Briarly thinks that, well, He's not really that courageous. He's actually got a weakness or there's softness. So uh, what do you have to say about that? Well, I I think it's, you know, just in in Briarly is an interesting character. And I think the fact that he looks at him that way, it's, it's all because he's looking at himself and, and the idea that, that someone would, would go through that kind of humiliation, um, I think is really hard for him to, to understand, and so to him, it looks like weakness to, to just let someone um, to be humiliated like that when there's no point. He said, "You know, said there's what's the purpose of it? There's no point yeah. in it." Yeah, I, I think that what what really is going on here is is um, it's kind of like Conrad uses Briarly to to kind of reveal some things about um, Jim or put some ideas in our mind that. You know, in other words, ultimately, I think Conrad wants us to be the final judge of Jim. We all have to judge Jim individually based on our own thinking. And, of course, he wants us definitely to examine ourselves, too. But, but I think what, what, uh, what I noticed when reading this section is that Briarly is really into, like, the status of being a captain and that there's a certain dignity that has to go with that. There's a certain... Um, uh, kind of like a reputation you have to keep up you know you have to c- bring it forward in the fact it sounds like to me that if Briarly were in the same situation that Jim is even though we don't know exactly what situation he's in yet because of Conrad <laughs> well well, you, you and I know but we're not telling everybody they got to read it for themselves but, but it's like he's not protecting all the captain's reputation by sitting up there in the inquiry in other words if we're up to Briarly, he'd be gone. He wouldn't sit into an inquiry because he feels like, well, I'm, I, I have a good reputation, and my reputation has to be preserved. Yes, right. Yes, reputation is what's most important to him. Yeah. So, so he says, uh, he says, courage be hanged. He said uh, that sort of courage is no use to keep a man straight. And uh, he goes on to say, he says, I will. This is what I think is hilarious. Is I tell you, what. I will put up 200 rupees if you put up another 100 and undertake to make the beggar clear out earlier tomorrow morning. 
there's a fellow that follows a gentleman if he ain't fit to be touched. He will understand. He must. This infernal publicity is too shocking. There he sits while all the confounded natives, serangs, lascars, quartermasters are giving evidence that's enough to burn a man to ashes with shame. So, so there he's saying, hey, well, let's just give him money because he doesn't have money. You know, they, they have him in the sailor's house because they want to they want to keep him, you know, close to their close to them. And uh, this is what Briarly, supposedly the the perfect man is saying, well, let's give him money and we'll, we'll get him out of this inquiry. So so I, I think, um, you know, Marlowe, does, he doesn't want to do that at all. You know, he doesn't want to give him money to run away. He He's kind of proud of him. And uh, um, he, he goes on to say, um, this, this, he's, t- he's talking about the shame that, that essentially not only is is uh, Jim being uh, shamed by it, but every other captain's being shamed by it. Every other chief mate's being shamed by it. And he and he goes on to say, "Why, Marlow, don't you think? Don't you feel that this is abominable? Don't you now come as a seaman? If he went all this, if he went away, all this would stop at once." And so, so in other words. Um, I think Briarly is right here that there's a lot of people who just want to put people to shame. There's a lot of people out there that want to put... And remember now, we're talking about the British Empire, and so, so you can see that there's probably rebellion already there, and so that's what they want, they, want, they want to happen. And he said, if you meant all this, this would all stop at once. Briarly said these words with the most unusual animation and made it as if to reach after his pocketbook I restrained him, declared coolly that the cowardice of these four men did not seem to me a matter of such great importance. And you call yourself a seaman, I suppose, he pronounced angrily. I said that's what I called myself, and I hoped I was too. He heard me out and made a gesture with his being arm that seemed to deprive me of my individuality to push me away into the crowd. The worst of it, he said, is that all you fellows have no sense of dignity. You don't think enough of what you are supposed to be. Yeah, I think that's that's the crux right there. That's that shows that's what's most important to him is the the dignity of the office. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what they do. Right. It's just mm-hmm. hey, don't go to any inquiry. So anyway, um, uh, I think one other comment here, and then we do want to move on. But but uh, if you go to the bottom of the page, Bradley goes on to say, "This is a disgrace. We've got all kinds amongst us." Some anointed scoundrels in the lot, but hang it, we must preserve professional decency or we become no better than so many tinkers going about loose. So, so you see, it, it, you see what he's saying is like, mm-hmm. there are corrupt captains, there are these people mm-hmm. out there, but don't put it on display. Right, yes. You know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, he said, we, we, we got to watch, you know, in, in some ways, it's really illegal mm-hmm. <laughs> what he's saying. It's like to preserve their decency. Yeah, that's more important to him than than the actual justice or right. or truth or right. the law. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. 
He says, we are trusted, do you understand? Trusted. Frankly, I don't care a snap for all the pilgrims that ever came out of Asia, but a decent man would not have behaved like this to a full cargo of old rags and bales. Now, that's not a very nice way to describe the the Muslims. No, it's not. He says, we aren't an organized body of men, and the only thing that holds us together is just a name for that kind of decency. Such an affair destroys one's confidence. A man may go pretty near through his whole sea life without any call to show a stiff upper lip, but when the call comes, ah, if I... And he goes on and he says he broke out. Uh, So uh, uh, you you can see we're getting not only um, revelations about Jim, but we're getting revelations of what Briarly was really like. And then, of course, we know a week after the inquiry is finished, what does Briarly do? He commits suicide. He commits suicide. And it's, and it's a strange way. It's a very well um, put together, kind of organized, right. you know, and, and um, with no one understanding why. Right. So on page 51 in the very middle there, I think, I think Marlowe sums it up for us really well. He says, thus, apropos of Jim, I had a glimpse of the real Briarly a few days before he committed his reality and his sham together to the keeping of the sea. <laughs> so so there obviously there's something about Jim that Briarly sees in himself and he can't handle it. Right. Because he knows it's not decent. <laughs> <laughs> and so so uh but notice what what uh Marlowe says there, of course I declined the medal. So he did, he's not gonna do any more research into into Briarly. And so we don't have to worry about Briarly anymore. But but uh I think it's also, if if we go on, I think it's another little thing that it is important to know is that, that Briarly knew um, Jim's dad. And he's, he talks about how, um, you know, Jim's, Jim's dad really thought very highly of him. And that, that is an important piece of information that we need to have. And, and uh, you can find that right in this section on, on pages 50, 51. And so, but but you're going to need to understand that, um, you know, as we get into to this. All right. Now we're, we are going to move closer now. We're going to go to, this is a, my, my big point number two today is we're going to go back into the inquiry. And then essentially what happens is Jim and Marlo meet in the street. So, so uh, let's get off on, onto that. So uh, I think we want to start at the, at the at the bottom of page 51 so i'll read this quote at the bottom it says the next day coming into court i sat by myself of course i could not forget the conversation i had with briarly and now i had both under my eyes the me- demeanor of one suggested gloomy impudence and of the other a contemptuous boredom and so so marlo is now giving us his his observation and of course the gloomy impudence he's uh, you know, saying that's the way Jim looked, and then he goes. The other one was a contemptuous boredom. That's obviously Briarly. Yet one attitude might not have been truer than the other, and I was aware that one was not true. Briarly was not bored; he was exasperated. And if so, then Jim might not have been impudent. According to my theory, he was not. I imagine he was hopeless. Then it was that our glance. Then it was that our glances met. They met. 
and the look he gave me was discouraging of my intention I might have had to speak to him. Upon either hypothesis, in insolence or despair, I felt I could be of no use to him. So, so I think that th there's like the first point of contact where they're actually meeting, and it's almost like there's this, you know, uh, inner inner brain communication there, and um, you know, he, he's seeing that that Jim sees his, his life as hopeless, and he's staring at at Marlowe, and Marlowe's staring back at him, and uh, the, he gets the feeling that, that he could be of no use to him. And so he goes on to say that it's very short, this inquiry was short, and was over, and that uh, there was, a, again, we can skip through, he talks about there was the next case came up, was assault and battery, and again, you, when you read this, you think, well, why is he bringing all this in? And the, if you look at it and really study this page 52, everybody out there reading, is this is a family and there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a theft, there was an assault and battery, and there's this dog. <laughs> the family is all outside the courthouse and they have their dog with them. And so, so once Jim's inquiry is over, everyone else is pouring out so there's a crowd, and this dog actually likes people, and is going around the crowd. And uh, you know, the dog, the dog was uh, trying to get up with the family. And then one of the other guys that was right with Marlowe calls the dog a cur. He says, "You cur." And then what happens after that? I'll let you talk now. Well, well, what happens after that is 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 all of a sudden. Jim comes after Marlowe. The, the other fellow's gone. <clears throat> Excuse me. Other people are gone. And he, and he, he, he uh, thinks that Marlowe called him a cur. Right. Yeah. And so there, it, there gets to be quite a... But, and Marlowe has no idea what he's talking about. Right. Because Marlowe's not first. paying attention no. to this stupid dog. No. He yeah. wasn't paying attention. You know. And so it's kind of, an, um, kind of a, a funny, funny kind of interesting interaction. Yeah. But it's, but it's another one of those things that Conrad is giving you color. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it makes this scene seem absolutely real. Yes, he's very good at description. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the, th the thing is, I mean, just think how, as a writer, he, how mm -hmm. creative he'd have to be to think of this whole, you know, to, to really set up the contact between the two of them. Mm -hmm. he, he makes up this situation, this family's in, tr in the mm -hmm. trial. They've got this dog, mm -hmm. and the dog comes around, and then they call him a cur. And at the bottom, he says, did you speak to me? Asked Jim very low. And bending forward and not so much towards me, but at me. <laughs> so, so he's he's a Jim isn't like a weakling. No, well, physically. It, no, it, it shows that he was really kind of like on a hair trigger. You yeah. know, with what's been going on, he's kept himself under control. You know, he looked kind of he's you know kind of somber, impudent, whatever you want. To say. And then all of a sudden, but this comes up and it it really it really um, sparked something in him. Yeah, yeah. He said he said. Uh, he wasn't coming too much towards me, but at me, he said, if you know what I mean. I said, no, at once. Something in the sound of that quiet tone of his warned me to be on my defense. I watched him. It was very much meeting in a, like meeting in a wood, only more uncertain in his issue, since he could possibly want neither my money or my, nor my life, nothing that I could simply give up or defend with a clear conscience. You say you didn't, he said, very somber. But I heard... Some mistake, I protested utterly at a loss and never taking my eyes off him. To watch his face was like watching a darkening sky before a clap of thunder. 
that's really neat writing mm -hmm. you know i thought man mm -hmm. i wish i could write like that mm -hmm. anyway it, it goes on here that um I, I think there's some really funny lines lines uh uh you know he's trying to defend himself that um you know that, that he didn't say the word cur and then to skip down toward the bottom of page 53 he says what did you mean by staring at me all the morning said Jim at last he looked up and looked down again did you expect us all to sit with downcast eyes out of regard for your susceptibilities I retorted sharply I was not going to submit meekly to any of his nonsense he raised his eyes again and this time continued to look me straight in the face no that's all right he pronounced with an air of deliberate deliberating with himself upon the truth of that statement that's all right i'm going through with that only and there he spoke a little faster i won't let any man call me names outside this court there was a fellow with you you spoke to him oh yes i know tis all very fine you spoke to him and you meant me to hear now that's not really true <laughs> you know and it's like Jim uh, Marlowe comes back and says, "Actually, he's delusional." Mm -hmm. You know, so so like you said, he's he's uh, uh, you know just a, he's a hair trigger. But he, I think the middle of that page is really funny. He said the funniest part was that in all the midst of these considerations of the higher order, I was conscious of a certain trepidation as to the possibility, nay, likelihood, of this encounter ending in some disreputable brawl, which could not possibly be explained, explained and make me look ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so uh, I mean, Jim is ready to fight, and then over on the next page, fifty-five. I think this is really funny too. It says uh, at the top of the page, it says, he tried to crush me by the scorn of his glance. Now that you see I'm not afraid to, you to try and crawl out of it, he said. Who's a cur now, hey? Then at last I understood. <laughs> he had been scanning my features as though looking for a place where he had plant his fist. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, you know, Jim is ready to fight. I mean, he's, he's a, I don't think he's a coward either. Um, uh, anyway, he says, uh, in the middle of that page is there may be those who could have a laugh at this per pertinacity and so uh, he was just really he was going to hang in there that's what uh, that's what we have to see there so uh, anyway I'm trying to to, uh, to rush us and uh, we're getting pretty close to where we want to be here all right um, so we know Jim had a lot of pernacity or there's a lot of our uh, of our members of the church would understand perseverance. Mm -hmm. and he really wants to get ahead. All right. So um, uh, it it appears then that once th they kind of get it resolved, where where uh, Jim actually then is just so embarrassed that what he's <laughs> been saying, and he realizes it's not true. And then then at page fifty seven, here we are, people. We're getting to the point we promised we'd get you to, and we still have seven more minutes to talk, so this is good. He says, uh, the bottom, middle of page 57, he says, I don't pretend I understood him. The views he let me have of himself were like those glimpses through the shifting rents in a thick fog, bits of vivid and vanishing detail giving no connected idea of the general aspect of a country. So that reminds me of Heart of Darkness. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when they're on the water and, it's mm -hmm. all, and they're all in the fog. They fed one's curiosity without satisfying it. They were no good for purposes of orientation. Upon the whole, he was misleading. So, so I think Marlowe is really, he's really a good judge of character. He's thinking, how do you read this guy? It's hard to read this guy. He said, that's how I summed him up to myself after he left me late in the evening. 
I have been staying at the Malabar house for a few days, and on my pressing invitation, he dined with me there. So, okay, now we're at, now we're at chapter seven. And finally, for all you listeners out there, Jim and Marlo are going to have dinner at the Malabar house. And so, so all this dilly-dallying around has now <laughs> gotten us to where we need to be. took 57 pages, by the way. So, all right. Uh, the very beginning of that chapter, I think, as you and I were discussing, it's talking about, you know, I think the, the culture at the time, a lot of, you know, the British people were traveling around, and it just shows, you know, um, you know the culture at that time. So the Malabar House must have been a really, really ritzy place to go eat. So do you have any comments there? Well, it's, it's just that, that um, just some of the words, um, it's like they, they, they were there traveling through and um, they just wanted to get their luggage stamped to just prove they'd been there. But the idea is they aren't really um, experiencing where they're living, where they're visiting, but it's more like the... the um, just to be able to, to show that they've been there, so yeah, it's, it's like kind of it's, false. It's, it's, it's false. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's like trying to get as many stamps in your passport as you can. Exactly right. But mm-hmm. you could care less about the people, right? Care less mm-hmm. about what the people are going through, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that that's still. It's, I think it's even still still typical today. So so anyway, um, we're not going to talk a whole lot about that, but that is an interesting paragraph. And remember, Conrad. He did have his problems with the British Empire. You know, he did, you know, he loved Britain, but he knew there were some weaknesses in it. And that's what Heart of Darkness is all about. And so, so, uh, you know, there was a facade, uh, I think, to the British Empire. Uh, For some people, it was just a, you know, it was just a, a, a matter of lust and wanting and greed and all that. But if you look at men like Churchill, they really saw the beauty behind it and the educational value behind it. So uh, we'll, we'll just skip down to the middle of page 58. So it's, it's obviously Jim has agreed to have dinner with Marlowe. And notice what Marlowe says. It says, a little wine opened Jim's heart and loosened his tongue. His appetite was good, too, I noticed. So I think that's, he puts that mm-hmm. in. It's funny. He's a young man. Mm-hmm. Of course, when we invite young men over to our house, we always try and have ample amount of food. But then we tell them, you know, take a little to start. <laughs> Don't take it all at once. <laughs> he said he seemed to have buried somewhere the opening episode of our acquaintance. So, so Marlowe tells us it's over. You know he's not going to he's not going to plant his fist in his face. And uh, he says it was like a thing of which there would be no more question in this world. And all the time I had before these, all the time I had before me these blue boyish eyes looking straight into mine, this young face, these capable shoulders, the open bronze forehead with a white line under the roots of a clustering fair hair, this appearance appealing at sight to all my sympathies, this frank aspect, this artless smile, the youthful seriousness. He was of the right sort. He was one of us. Yes, that's a, he says that several times, yes. And so mm-hmm. what do you think he means by that? He was one of us. Well, I, I think in terms of maybe um, the gentlemanly, you know, um, British uh, man. I, I, you know, that's kind of what I think of, you know, is, is yeah. it, you know, a gentleman kind of, because that, that was something that, um, that was part of their society then. Right. I also think of mm-hmm. dueling. 
Who? Uh, dueling. Oh, dueling. Okay. Yeah, the you know the British gentlemen would duel. Oh, okay. You yes. know, if they mm-hmm. had an argument, right? They settled it with guns. Mm-hmm. You know, so so he was going to settle it with his fist. Right. You know, no mm-hmm. one's calling me a cur. Mm-hmm. You know, so so but but it says he was of the right sort. Now, I don't know if Bradley would agree with that, but then. You know, Bradley's going to be dead in a few more days anyway. So, so uh, but he got, he went on to say he talked soberly with a sort of composure, unreserve, and with a quiet bearing that might have been the outcome of manly self-control, of impudence, of callousness, a colossal unconsciousness of a gigantic deception. Who can tell? From our tone, we might have been discussing a third person, a football match, last year's weather. My mind floated in a sea of conjectures till the turn of the conversation enabled me, without being offensive, to remark that upon the whole, this inquiry must have been pretty trying to him. He darted his arm across the tablecloth, and clutching my hand by the side of my plate, glared fixedly. I was startled. It must be awfully hard, I stammered, confused by the display of speechless feeling. It is hell, he burst out in a muffled voice. And so, so here I think we're beginning to to see the real Jim. Yes, he he's you know covers that up, but he but it's like underneath there's a lot of turmoil going on. But you know he has that he's always talking about he has that look you know the the you know his clear blue eyes and all that. But that then you know, but even but underneath it you know he's yeah very he, he puts on a good show. Tur- there's a lot of turbulence. That's, that's very British. Mm-hmm. You know the the upper lip, mm-hmm. stiff upper lip, and all that. Um, but th- then, then he goes on to, uh, you know, you know, Conrad. He, he's got to give us a description of what's going on in the hotel. And so, um, you know, he says, on the little octagon tables, candles burning, glass globes, clumps off stiff lip, stiffly planned, separated sets of cozy wicker chairs, and between the chairs of columns, whose ready shafts caught a long road, the sheen from all from the tall windows, the night glittering with somber seems to hang like a splendid drapery. The riding lights of ships sinked, winked far, far like setting stars, and the hills across the roadstead uh, resembled rounded black masses of arrested thunderclouds. Um, so, so. Uh, Anyway, so he's giving us a little detail. Now, um, he, he's, we're, we're going to run out of time here. So I think what we'll do is let's just stop here. And we've got, to, we've got people where we need them. They're actually talking. But there's a lot more to talk about here. And I think we will reserve that for next time. <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for today's program. Next time, Deborah and I will continue to discuss Marlowe and Jim's dinner. You can buy Lord Jim at Amazon.com. You may be able to find a good used copy at abebooks.com. You may also be able to find a good copy in your local bookstore. Now, of course, you can also check your local library. Now, please write me any comments you may have to jbl at pcog.org. Now, you can follow JBL on Twitter at jbliteratureone. One. You can also follow JBL on Facebook. Simply search for just the best literature. Now, I have uh, opened the activity on that Facebook account, and the the likes are increasing, and the request to be friends to that, or uh, there was like 15 in my mailbox today. So keep studying that page. And so again, until next time, keep reading.
You've been listening to just the best literature on Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG. Streaming online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.